everybody, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Your co-host here, Justin Knott, and really excited today. We're actually going to talk about a lot of different topics. We have a guest and a friend, Sharon Feckety, that is joining, and she has years and years of experience across really everything healthcare. So Sharon, thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. And I know we've got a lot of different topics and a, and a broad range of them to cover. But before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about all of your backstory, your experience in healthcare and all that stuff. Sure. So thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been a big fan of your company for many years now. So I am Sharon Vickety and I appreciate you pronouncing it right. You are one <laughs> of a few. And I have been in medical for 20 plus years, started in New York, Long Island, New York is, is my birthplace. And I started in New York medical as a client relations manager and moved my way up to director of operations for a large privately held practice, multi-specialty. So it was uh, 11 of our own offices and 42 satellite offices. So I was very involved with growing the business, hiring, firing, marketing branding, the, the mediator between the disagreements that happen when it comes to doctors oh, yeah. and staff. Yep. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But the business was run by a physician. That's not why it went bankrupt. But there was a lot of, a lot of dysfunction in terms of the operations team understanding that the infrastructure is the most important if you're going to continue to grow. And we continued to grow without the right support. So when that happened, I just could not imagine working in a hospital or in just a one-man show. So I thought, well, I'm going to move to Florida. I always wanted to live in Florida, vacation in Florida. Came down here 18 years ago, and there was no such thing as a privately held large multi-specialty practice with Eastern Western medicine. So I ended up meeting, well, I did take a job as a practice management director for a pediatric children's hospital here. And I really did not like it. I was told as soon as I was hired not to be in a rush to get everything done. You don't want to make the other girls look bad. I know you're from New York. That is literally what I was told from a pediatric cardiologist. And I knew I wouldn't last there. So I was there about six months. And at an event, I'm, I'm very big on talking about relationships in business. At an event, I just, it was for doctor's wives, and I'm the, the CEO of this company was also a physician. He thought it was a good idea to get all the wives together. And we would pitch how important it was because they just believed that the wives controlled what the doctors did. Anyway, it doesn't matter. When, even saying it out loud, I'm like, what in the heck is <laughs> right that? So my decision at that event was to sit with a doctor's wife and tell her how, how unhappy I was at the position that I was in and what I used to do in New York. And the next day, her husband, who was a pediatrician, called me and asked if I could help hire a new practice manager because I had done so, I'd done that for years in New York. Yeah, yeah. And I had known about this practice. It had such a great reputation. I got so many, you're not in New York anymore. This is Florida and all of that. And I just thought, well, what about me? You know, if I could train, hire, Mold a practice manager, I could certainly do it. And, and this happened to be a practice that was um, was 42 years old when I joined it. Oh, yeah. 50 years old when I left it. And I, I helped grow a night division and a second office that they had. We had 33 women that I survived, which was a lot harder than the 200 plus in New York. 
having employees, having the humans around can be very difficult, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Opened this night division, had a lot of fun. Oh, you asked, so I'm telling. No, no, always, keep going. Always loved marketing and YouTube was really becoming a thing when I was running the practice. So we did a music video about the office being open at night. And then, you know, so that that's kind of the segue to where I decided it was time to go because I was running both of the offices. I was doing all the marketing and I was used to that because of this huge operation I was helping to run with this wonderful small team that I had in New York that I was used to being busy. You know, I was used yeah. to like, let's grow, let's keep going. Let's not yeah. be the practice that says not accepting new patients. Let's figure out whatever we have to do to make sure that we, we continue. And then wanting to set the doctors up for retirement, you know, they had been renting the building that they were in for years and years and years. So I thought the music video, and then one of the doctors said, listen, there's an ENT group. They're big, they're friends of mine for years. They're having problems in their practice. I'm going to bring them in to sit down and talk to you. So I had this, you know, we have a moment of clarity. I had all of these ENTs sitting in my conference room, writing down everything I was saying. And I had that moment where I was like, you know, I might be onto something here. Yeah. It was at that moment that I thought it's time to go. And I loved where I was working. I truly did. I hired my replacement. I spent the whole month with her, made sure that I got the right person and had her understand the whole practice. And I've been gone from there, you know, almost 10 years now or something like that. I can never keep track. And opened the Doctor Whisperer, which is a consulting business for doctors. And then I opened a social media company four years ago. And then I wrote a book about mental health in the workplace. And so there's been a lot happening. You know, that's what happens yeah. when you're an entrepreneur and then you realize you're actually an entrepreneur. For sure. Yeah, I love and going back because this is like one of the biggest topics, especially COVID, the great resignation and everything. And it really it was, sounds like it was a, a kind of a catalyst moment from that conversation that you had with that woman at that event. And then it led to, well, can you help hire? And, and then kind of the rest is history, so to speak. So what is your advice? At, and then having run a practice for eight to 10 years and, and doing what you do now, with the whole hiring situation that is going on and healthcare is probably one of the ones that's been most affected through this, but even historically, I mean, and, and it really is the backbone of, of every practice is, is good staff. So talk to your experience and for the listeners out there that are healthcare executives and physicians that are trying to navigate what is kind of a nightmare hiring situation that's probably not going to get better anytime soon. Yeah. So I think what most people don't understand is that hiring is actually a skill. I think a lot of people believe because they're good with people or they can sense a good hire when they meet them is really wrong. I made my own mistakes through the years of thinking I found the perfect person. My replacement for the practice manager was a mistake. She's no longer with them. She lasted wow. with them for six years, but I, I saw not there were a lot of things that I was like, oh, she'd be perfect, but I didn't realize she was going to throw me under the bus. Anyway, so I say that because I think there's a lot of ego wrapped into hiring. When somebody that for sure. mistake about hiring, it's very hard to say, you know what, I, I think I was wrong about this. And I, I think we need to just go through it again. And hiring is torture. It is, you know, but it takes somebody that has a lot of emotional intelligence that's very self-aware to hire the right person for the practice. So when I'm teaching somebody about hiring or, I mean, I used to go into restructure practices all the time 
I just hired for a colorectal surgeon, her practice manager and her front of office. And I went through three prior to the one that I got. And she's now been there for a few months. And the surgeon is so happy. Like the surgeon told me that she was leaving for Captiva, which she hadn't been on a vacation since the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. And was coming back on Saturday. And I was like, I was thrilled. That's so rewarding. But hiring is, you know this, I'm a realist. I like to talk about the truth. And a lot of practice managers started at the front desk. Yeah. Or they are the doctor's wife Mm -hmm. or they are the doctor's husband. And they are now taking on this role of bringing in the most important part of the practice, which is the team. And I think a lot of physicians in my 20 plus years experience, they really don't pay much attention to who's going to work up front, where that is your actual introduction to the business. Oh, yeah. So that person can either encourage a new patient to come in or make them never, ever walk in the door. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. they're one of the lowest paid employees. So I think the opposite. I think you have to pay more to get something great. You know, I have this, my fun saying is you can't get a filet mignon for the price of a hot dog. True. That makes a lot of sense. Right. If you want to have a great practice, you have to hire great. You have to spend money. You have to make an investment. You have to do background checks. I mean, calling people's references is a joke. Everybody's going to put their best friends or their best friend at the last job. (laughs) They stole $70,000. Don't tell them about this. So, but background checks are really, really important. And that's usually my experience is that no medical practices do this. That's just my experience. And that's a mistake. This is why there's so much embezzlement and Oh, yeah. And and speaking to that, it really, that was very eye-opening, actually, when Kelly and I were on the cusp of starting our agency and we're really kind of playing the, do we have something here? Do I want to go out on my own? Especially Kelly, because I had been kind of in the entrepreneurial world and knew I wanted to start something. Honestly, couldn't find something once I had relocated, but she was in her last, what became her last consulting gig before we started the agency. And she saw the embezzlement that was going on firsthand. And it was not the first time that this person had done it, to say the least. And it had been friend of friend hires that this girl had made her way through. And everyone just looked the other way the whole entire time. And it was astounding. And they had a private investigator get involved. And he's like, this is like a dime a dozen situation. It happens all the time, unfortunately. And it's actually for some reason to the interest of the practice to just like ignore it and just ask them to go. And then they go do it at the next practice. It's hell. That was so crazy to me. We were, we were young and I was like blown away by that. Yeah. And unfortunately, so I always say today, nothing shocks me because I have seen the absolute worst and I am never surprised anymore, which is unfortunate because that's why I say it takes somebody that's doing the hiring to really have EQ skills really be self-aware. And if you know that you don't, you need to bring somebody on to recruit. Like you absolutely absolutely agree. Right. And I, I've said this a million times. I've done videos about it. I've been very vocal about how much I hate recruiting, but I'm amazing at it only because I am so meticulous about who I bring in the door. And I think more about, and it's not ego, it's just, I've just been doing it for so long. Yeah. Oh yeah. All the mistakes. And I know when I run in, 
as a consultant to help a business, it is only about the people that work there. So I don't, you know, the marketing, why can't we grow all that stuff? Great. Okay, Doc, I want to sit down with everybody in your practice. Well, yeah, none of that, none of that matters. Honestly, what we do, if the culture and the team is not right, it's, I mean, it's not ever going to be scalable, survivable, thrivable, all of the above. So it's really kind of just spinning the wheels for people like myself who focus on marketing and acquisition. Like it's nice for the bottom line, but I mean, if the team is not there, it just doesn't really, it's not going to work long-term anyways. It's so true. I mean, and it's, it's so unfortunate because, you know, my mom, for example, she just took my dad to an orthopedist and she knows obviously what I do for a living. So she's always like, I'm going to tell them about you. I'm like, please. (laughs) So she said, oh, I got in in the front office, you know, she was okay, but you know, I've seen worse. The medical assistant though, she, oh my God, Sharon, she was horrible but the doctor was amazing the doctor is what's going to bring me back so we actually as a society now in healthcare we accept subpar service yep which is disgraceful so if the doctors really knew the experience of the patient what it was like for them to call to go in the waiting room their their practice would they would thrive Because it really, at the end of the day, like no matter what you do for marketing or I do for social media or whatever it is, it only matters about the experience that the patient has. Yep. Well, you have, so you have to be willing to go through that experience and hear some hard criticism, some hard feedback. And there's a solution to it. It just takes a commitment to want to make a change. That's usually by the time a doctor gets to me, they are desperate. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I and like you said, healthcare is, I think, a unique one, too, because like you said, most patients are willing to accept very subpar, especially if the physician is is very good, has good bedside manner, good outcomes. And sometimes the bedside manner doesn't matter if they're just that good at their job from an outcome standpoint. And they're just because of the I think just kind of the train wreck that has become healthcare in terms of the ecosystem, the patient. I kind of feel so beaten down. There's not going to be a really good alternative. And we see it all the time. Even like my parents, they have a physician they go to and literally out of their mouth is like, well, just be ready to wait for two and a half hours every time you go there. It's like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. But it's like, what are they going to do? They don't have any, they have no leverage on the other side. So it's just like, well, I'll just wait for two and a half. It could be three hours this time. I don't know. Bring a, bring a movie and, and a lot of snacks because you're going to be camping out in the waiting room for a half of a day. And it's not I even went, a surgeon. It's like, I went, that's crazy. It is crazy. I went to a dermatologist just the other day. I never go to practices that I work on. That's number one. So some of it is for research, to be honest. And yeah. others is like, I would just rather they don't know what I do. And I always say self-employed. Mm-hmm. So the experience was fine with the phone call. The website looked really good. The, you know, it was very nice. So the front office woman says to me, lovely lady. She says, okay, so before you come, You could go on our website and you could fill out the forms and print them and bring them into the office. Fun. So I take a breath and in my nicest voice, I said, oh, wow, it seems like you guys have come a long way to where you have a a place on the website that you can actually, you know, get the forms so I don't have to fill them out in the waiting room. That's great. Can you turn that PDF into, you know, where I could just type right on it? This way, it saves everybody a step. And we save a tree. There are trees behind me. Everybody's watching. Nature is my thing. 
I'm all about the green. Oh, no, we can't do that. Just print them out and bring them. Or you can come in and you don't have to print them. You could just fill them out. We'll print them here. We thought, well, like, no matter how good that dermatologist was, that is such a disconnect. And today, in 2022, when we're talking about, you know, AI. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's how far behind we are in healthcare. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's such an easy battle to win because there's so few people that are focusing on that whole entire patient experience end to end. And that is such an easy way to grow because that just keeps com people coming back for more. Cause it's, it's honestly a very easy loyalty to build because there's not a lot of that out there. So it's something that's extremely memorable when it does happen and you go into a practice that you have a good experience end to end they're responsive. You can get in touch with people. They're using technology to their advantage to keep things streamlined. So it's really actually is easy to create something that's incredibly impactful and memorable because there's just not a lot that's going on at all in healthcare for that. Well, Justin, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you've had a loved one tell you, I had such a great experience at the doctor's office today? It's been a long time. Yeah. I'm trying to even think. Uh, never happened. Just no, no. Yeah. It's been a long, long time for sure. Now, so that alone, right? I mean, you and I, we're in different states. Yep. I've never, my, my parents, you know, my dad's going to be 80. My mom's in her late seventies. They go to the doctor a lot. They, they usually say something great about the doctor, but they, the experience that they have, if people were just even more thoughtful about the elderly population where, you know, we understand technology, you and I are both, we have microphones, you know, we're doing Zoom. We didn't have a problem getting on. There was no operator ever, but man, my mom calls it an email number. Not an email address. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we need to be more self-aware and, and understand the demographics that we're dealing with. There needs to be a lot more emotional intelligence built in to how we're running a medical practice today. And I think after all these years and all of my frustration, that has been it. If somebody could just take a step back, say, what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong? And let's fix it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So that, to change or switch gears, change subjects a little bit, you've actually, and all of your work have done a ton in the mental health space in terms of mental health in the workplace. And it's actually not something that we have talked really in detail at all on the podcast. And you wrote a book called The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and Business and talk a lot, both in the business sector and the healthcare sector. But I'd love to hear for the listeners out there, some of your thoughts kind of on the whole topic in general, especially as it relates to healthcare and, and the owners out there too, of what they should be doing to make sure that they're taking care of the mental health of their, their employees, because obviously that is a trickle down effect to how they care for the patients and everything. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. This was not part of the plan in 2019 for me to write a book about my own personal trials and tribulations, because I was told in my 20s when I got sober, I'm 27 years sober by the time. Wow, congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. August 11th, 1994. So I'm coming up on 28. I'll be 50 wow. in October. So, but my story was very, very bad prior to 21 years old. So my whole business career has been as a sober, responsible person who has been working on themselves rigorously. And I know today, and like I can connect the dots to why I thrive when I'm standing in front of a room teaching hospitality and healthcare, or 
talking about mental health in the workplace. I've been telling my vulnerable story in my personal life for years. So in 2019, I was coming up on my 25th sober year. I got sober on my mother's birthday, August 11th. And I thought, what a great opportunity to do something big. And being in business for as long as I have been and working with very high-end professionals, physicians, surgeons, lawyers, my friends are, you know, high-powered attorneys and CEOs of banks. And, and nobody knows about what Sharon went through as a young adult. But I was hearing everybody was sharing, like, ultimately, because when you work with me, even any doctor, we're going to get to the root of what's going on. And it usually has to do with something personal. Like if, if a doctor is screaming at a nurse in the hallway, it's not usually because somebody didn't have the right medical record. It's yeah, usually about sure. something else, right? So I started, I started sharing in, in small spaces with, because I've done a lot of events with physicians. And a lot of my talks have been with physicians about you know, wellness and how we create a well environment inside of the practices. And so one day I just decided I was going to share about it at an event. I wrote about this in the book. And in the audience, you know, there were doctors and there were friends of mine that were like professional athletes that like had sons that died by suicide and somebody had OD'd in their family. I knew all of this and I thought it's just time, you know, it's time to show somebody hope was the goal. So I started sharing about it and then I, I wrote the book. And people couldn't believe it, you know, because especially my doctors, I was like, yeah, you, to think you gave me the keys to your office. <laughs> One time in my life, you know, I wasn't this girl who gets up and works out and meditates and, you know, just drinks water all day, you know. But the, the correlation between the mental health and business was so palpable in my last 2017, 2018, 2019, because I was going into restructuring these medical practices. I just ask five questions to the employees that I meet with. It's very simple. It's like, you know, how long have you been here? What do you love about your job? What do you hate about your job? How do you like to be rewarded? What can you do to contribute to the growth of this practice? And those five questions, and I'm only meeting these wonderful people, and most of them are women. It's mostly mm -hmm. in the healthcare field. In that 20 minutes, somebody was crying in almost every meeting. Nobody's ever asked me that. None of them want more money. Some of them did. Yeah. Majority of them wanted to. That's a very rare motivator. Very rare. Yeah. It would be nice if somebody just said thank you. It would be nice if somebody picked out some of my good points minus the mistakes that I've made. And I remember one day in particular, so many of them had cried to me. And I'm an empath, you know, so I was taking it on. And I had to run a big event for an orthopedic surgeon after. And on my drive there, I thought, I have to help. I have to get deeper into mental health in the workplace. Because nobody's asking or talking to anybody. You know, there's a chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called Two Employers. And I've known about it for 27 years because I've read it in my totes of recovery. So when I was running businesses and I had somebody that was addicted to drugs or alcohol, I just referred back to what I should do there. I always had EAP, an employee assistance program for any practice that I was in, because as if anybody reads the book, they will see it was an EAP counselor. My dad worked for New York Hospital for 44 years. And his EAP counselor was the man who saved my life. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it's a long story, right? And we talked about so much, but just to get to the crux of it, like I was 21 years old and my father's e employee assistance program, like it's, it's unbelievable that this happened, was the one that asked me if I was having suicidal thoughts. 
And at that moment, everything changed. I said, yes, I was in a safe place. I got the right medication. I got the right help. And I haven't taken any medication since I was 21 years old. Not to say there's anything wrong with medication. But now I really see, so because of my own recovery and the work that I do on myself and just be, you know, evolving through this, this world of mental health, I always know that that's what I have to get to. Like yeah. during this time, especially, right? Like people oh, have absolutely. just been traumatized. So how do we give employees an opportunity to feel safe when they're being yelled at? How do we say, well, you could go to HR if the HR rep has only showed that she's good at offering policies and procedures. So it's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big shift. And I'm, I'm happy that, you know, there's been more talk about it as of late because it is, it is the number one thing I feel can really impact a business is to talk about mental health in their workplace, a place where people can feel safe and not feel afraid or ashamed if they're not doing well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there's, it is good that it's entered a lot more of a mainstream conversation for sure. I don't know. There's still employers, as you know, firsthand have done much about it outside of talk around it or talk to it kind of thing, because now you can talk about it more. But yeah, I, I completely agree. And we're and I'm learning that from even good people that we have internally as we continue to hire and grow. And we're really on the front end of developing our company culture as we continue to grow. And really putting that on the forefront is making sure that people feel like extremely, extremely supported. And like you said, and again, this is a lesson that I've learned by hiring a really good COO who has a lot of experience in this side of things is those even monthly times that we get to sit down from an HR standpoint and have conversations. Like you said, the motivator is not money and having rehabilitated some people that come from really toxic work cultures, it's always really interesting what they love about what we're working on building from a culture standpoint. And a lot of it is feeling supportive, having work-life balance, being able to, to ask questions whether they're right or wrong. It's a lot about being heard. So a lot of it is, is really simple. It's like about paying attention and having conversations and making people feel filled up instead of beaten down. And that's not that difficult to do. It's just about paying attention. Yeah. And it's, there's so many easy fixes, right? And I, when I do talks with companies about mental health in the workplace, I always say it can't just be that World Mental Health Day or the Wellness Week that you're having all these different practitioners come out. It has to be embedded in your culture. You know, and there are so many organizations. I work with one that's based in Ireland. They're called I Am Here. And it's just this gentle way of isolating people within the workplace that can be that safe person for somebody to go to. There's a lot of people, as you can imagine, I mean, I talked at Franklin Templeton pre-pandemic. And this is, you know, finance, you know? Oh, yeah. And the salespeople told me as I'm signing the books, they're, you know, they're whispering to me. If I tell them I have anxiety, I'm not going to get promoted. That's a real fear for people. So how can they feel like it's okay when even with what goes on in the world, everything, well, he, it was mental illness that made them shoot up the place. Whatever it is, like if we're trying to normalize the conversation around mental health, we just have to have these kind of open conversations, which I really appreciate because that is the only way to normalize anything is to just talk about it make mistakes, you know, but have the courage enough to, to face a challenge that's been plaguing us for so many years now, especially in the workplace. 
Oh yeah, I completely agree. Is there anything else? Because I think we've talked to probably two of the biggest hurdles or struggles when when growing a practice, especially when you come in, like you said, when they're in a desperate situation. Is there anything else outside of obviously the hiring, the mental health that are very common when they are in a desperate situation and you come in to help get their house back in order that maybe physicians aren't paying attention to or, or brushing off that is actually critical and can land you in a position of desperation if you don't pay attention to it? Well, I have a video about miserable Mary. So I really do think that hospitality and healthcare, hospitality and healthcare and hiring can separate any practice. You know, marketing is so important. Branding is so important. SEO is so important. Everything that you are doing, live social media is important. But at the, at the root, you have to have nice people yeah. work in your organization. Mm-hmm. If you, it's so simple, right? People are coming to you because they're sick, they're in pain, where they have anxiety, whether it's psychiatry, orthopedics, it doesn't matter. They're not feeling well. The last thing that you want is somebody miserable treating them poorly because they're having a bad day. Yeah, I could not agree more for sure. So hospitality and healthcare is so important. You know, it just takes that little, little hello, how are you? You know, I like to assign somebody that is really just, you find somebody that just loves talking to people, you know, because that's not everybody. I don't love it myself. I can't spend my time having, you know, small talk. As you just saw us talking about (laughs) mental health. But there are those people that are like, oh my goodness, I love your shoes. They're so cute. You know, people need to feel welcome and feel warm within a practice. And a lot of the doctors that are doing it right understand that value. For sure. I completely agree. Yeah, because I mean, people want, I mean, it is, it even those like little moments that really do leave a lasting impact on a patient. All right. So to take a step back and, and switch and put our marketing hat on, because as you mentioned, you have a social media company. And so I do want to talk to some marketing stuff. I'd love to hear from your perspective, kind of why it is critically important to put time and effort behind social media as a practice and what it takes to do it the right way and not just lean on a bunch of stock photos and scratch your head as to why there is no value creation actually occurring. So tell me a little bit about with all of your experience in social media, what practices should be doing, planning and executing on if they really do want social media to be an effective channel to share their story. Yeah, well, I'd first like to say the the line that I hear the most, I hate social media. You know, I, I don't like it. I think it's stupid. I'm, I'm professional and I want people to see me as professional. Whatever somebody has in their mind about like what social media is, it's typically wrong. What marketing is typically wrong. Yeah. Branding, you know, logos, a branding kit, your colors, all of it is important. Where you do your logo, how you design it, how it speaks to your practice, your landing page on Google, your search engine optimization, all of it is different, right? I mean, just you and I know that most people say marketing and branding is the same. Social media and SEO is the same, you know. Everybody thinks I know how to build a website. I'm kidding. I don't know of a clue because we do social media. So like anything else, you know, I try to tell the people that business owners that I work with, whether it be doctors and surgeons, whatever, you know, I don't know how to do surgery, bro, but I have spent years learning about how to put out great content and great content 
is thoughtful. It's real. Like nobody wants to see, there's a great meme going around lately about nobody wants to see your 4th of July pictures, your poor pictures. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just enjoy the 4th of July show. The big birthday parties though, that you have at the office, nobody cares. Nobody wants to, your staff doesn't even want to be in that picture. Content should be about educating your audience. I completely agree. Yeah, it's about education. And there are many ways to do it. So a, a lot of people are not comfortable in front of video. They're not comfortable on a podcast. So maybe they get somebody to write some great blogs, which helps the SEO, right? But you have to have content out today. You know, before we brought up AI and there's NFTs, I'm sure half the audience doesn't even know what an NFT is. And I don't fully, you know, grasp it yet, but believe you me, I'm going to learn about it if it has something to do with business and technology. So I just think that hiring somebody young or using one of your front office staff members to do your social media is the biggest insult to the world of marketing <laughs> I could ever imagine. And I hear it all the time. I was just told yesterday, Sharon, can you help me get an influencer? Help me hire I want somebody nine to five to work on getting TikTok influencers to promote my product. Somebody young. I was like, okay. But somebody young doesn't mean they have any sense of strategy or business or understand your product. Like there's so much to that one phrase. You know, it's like this door opens in my mind. Like they really need more help than they can ever imagine just by asking me that question. So I think that companies like yours that really understand how to do it and have been doing it. Healthcare is a totally different world, you know, than executive recruiters or a wig company like I have that we, we do business for on social media. You really have to have a company that understands strategy and how to build your platform for growth, paid advertising versus organic. There's yeah. so much. And I, and I don't even do paid. I refer that business out to, to better companies than my own because that's a real skill too. But in 2022, you, I'll just say it because I know not everybody feels comfortable saying it. You should actually just be ashamed that you're not using these tools that have been brought to us that can, you know, I have a, let's say one more thing. I know you're probably like, man, that girl can vomit at the mouth, but I'm so passionate about it, right? I had this client Wednesday, Sharon, I want to put a video of our services in our waiting room on the TV. <laughs> I said, very mattered faculty. Well, those patients are already known about you. We just have to get those videos out to the people that don't know about you. Yep. <laughs> and you wanting to do paid advertising on a television show that nobody's watching anymore is not good. Digital, like print ads that one person might say, so much can be done online. And it's just fear. You know, it all goes back, Justin. It yeah, all it goes back to emotional intelligence and what you're willing to, like, your ego is like, I'm only going to do what I have been told works by people that have no understanding yep. of business. For sure. Right. And and there's a fear. And, and I think it's across the board, even in entrepreneurship, too. But talking about social media, there's obviously the fear of investing in something and it not working out, too. And especially social media is like, well, what if we do put content out there and nobody wants to listen? What if I do invest my time in front of learning to get in front of a camera to talk about my subspecialties or my approaches to conditions and treatments and treating patients and nobody wants to listen, that kind of thing. So they just never get started and go the safe way. And like you said, hire somebody that's inexperienced, that doesn't really understand what it takes to grow and then never really invest in what is the driver. And that's really good content. 
Because if you do that, it's takes a, it takes a while to build a machine and it's a lot of work to do it. But if you build it the right way, you can get there because there's not a lot of people that are willing to invest and, and stay the course over the long haul. Like you said, it really is a dance. Like to do it the right way, there's a whole lot more, not only from strategy, but an execution that really goes into creating good content and good content at scale. It's an SOP. It's putting a process in place and, and how you're going to capture that content, how you're going to edit that content, how you're going to repurpose that content, how you're going to distribute the content, how you're going to turn it into evergreen content, how you're going to make many out of one, all of those things. And if you're chasing your tail constantly and just trying to keep up with it versus putting an actual game plan in place on how to execute, it's never going to happen. Because every time like you come into an aesthetics practice, they always are willing to show you like, I want this, I want to be like this Instagram that has 5 million followers. It's like, well, if you called them on the phone and asked what their process is, I bet it's a lot more technically complicated than hiring the front desk girl at one hour a week to walk around and snap a couple photos and post it on Facebook. Right. No, or or very randomly being like, we should be on TikTok. Yep, exactly. No, there is a methodical game plan in place about content production and content distribution that is intentional in nature to create the type of brand that has that staying power, for sure. And a misnomer that I want to, you pointed out, you know, that 5 million followers. You could pay for that. Oh, easily. You could buy that. So just know that any new practice that you see come up that has already gotten 600,000 followers, they've paid for that. They have not done that organically. I know I have an organic social media company. It takes years, years and years. But I do think that you also have to think about like, who do you want to reach? That's just vanity metrics. You really just want people in your community coming to see you, right? I would assume. Yeah. Unless you have a global practice and you have people traveling in from Austria. And the other thing that's really important, right? Is if you are paying for something, you want ROI, you want a return on investment. That return on investment is internal. Right. So when we do social media for a company and I'm lucky enough to also be helping consult for the practice, I'm like, all right, every week I want to see that referral log. Where did those people come from? And when it says online, I'm like, okay, listen, we got to, we got to isolate this because we're spending money here. We're spending money there. I want you as the owner to feel good about where you're putting those marketing dollars. So that all ties into like how the practice runs, right? Who is the practice manager? Who is working up front taking that phone call? taking that information, putting the right information into the electronic health record. You could run reports yes. all day, oh, yeah. but that there is going to be a human being that is inputting that information. So they have to create to do it correctly. Oh man, Justin, what are we doing in healthcare is the bottom line. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that's a whole nother, the EHR and reporting is like a whole nother can of worms for it's sure. a lot of work. Yeah, it seems like there's standardization at some level with the kind of fire API stuff that's going to be mandated by I think 2025 or something like that, because we're in process of building a SaaS based kind of lead management product. And so we've been going down that rabbit hole. And that's the biggest problem in the marketing world, for sure, is the data fragmentation because of all the different EHRs and some are average and some are horrible. There's very few that are even (laughs) above okay. So yeah, like you said, it's it's always that is like, is it online? Because that doesn't tell us anything at all. Right. And in fact, the consumer doesn't even know exactly how they found you. Was it actually a Google ad or was it actually Google My Business or was it actually Google search? And what are the difference between the three? Like you understand <laughs> yeah. you realize how rare you are, my friend, yeah. to understand that. So imagine that information 
being understood by the person that you're paying $11 an hour. She doesn't care. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Or you will take our, our wonderful advice and spend more time and investment into bringing on the right people that understand the why. The business is a why. It is not, well, this is what they told me to do. No. Why are you doing that? Why is that important? I spend more time explaining the why than I do about, I need you to do this, this, and this. Absolutely. So as we, as we wrap up, because you mentioned so many different things that you have going on, tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you because you've got social media, you've got consulting, you've got the book, you have a podcast, you have so many different things. So tell us a little bit about those. And then what's the easiest way to get connected with you if they want to learn a little bit more, if they have reached that point of desperation and they need your expertise to come in and turn the ship around. Well, I will say because this is a healthcare focus, just to the doctor whisperer. I mean, I purposely made it a company name that people would remember. No, I'm not the dog whisperer or the horse <laughs> whisperer. I can't even fix my own dog, but that is the easiest way. Googling my name. I have so much content out there. You know, I'm not difficult to find, but what I want to do more of is what I'm doing currently, which is teaching the masses. Like imagine the advantage that medical students would have understanding the value if they do decide to go into private practice, that if they start it right, even though it might be a large financial investment to put the right players in place, I promise you it will save you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the end to do it right from the beginning. So that that's the best way to reach me. Just look up the doctor whisperer. We're ready. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story and and a lot of knowledge to you to pass on. I know we haven't actually talked about a lot of these topics, so they're going to be really helpful. So thank you so much again for coming on and and look forward to having you on the show again in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Give Kelly my best. Will do. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks. Check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott.